Hello, I'm Iris Nichols and welcome to another edition of Wellbeing. We're becoming more and more aware of the problems dealing with mental illness, the effect it has on the patient, their families and the health system. To look at these effects from all those points of view, I have with me Graham Steele. Graham is an accredited instructor in mental health first aid, a member of the Schizophrenia Fellowship and a carer for his son. Graham, welcome to the program and thank you for coming in. I'd like to start by asking you to explain exactly what is a carer. A carer is somebody who looks after the interests of a person suffering from a mental or a physical illness. It's not just mental illness. Um, Basically, we um, uh, make sure that they they take their medication, make sure that they're, um, they're not taken down, if you like, by certain elements of society and uh, generally trying to keep them well. This includes keeping an eye on their food and their, their meals and those, those sorts of things and their dress? It would vary uh, depending on the needs of the individual. Why do mentally ill people need a carer? Not all mentally ill people need a carer, but some do because they uh, they can't get their thoughts together, they can't organise themselves. <coughs> Sorry. They can't organise themselves properly. Um, and therefore they, they tend to forget things. Um, you know, they, they, some, some people will forget to eat, for example. Um, and I suppose it's like anybody who has... Uh, a condition that is uh, disabling. Um, They just can't manage by themselves and they need somebody to keep an eye out for them. You actually look after your son or you care for your son. How long have you been caring for him? Uh, He's uh, been ill now for 16 years and uh, during all that time we've we've done our best to look after him. We haven't always been in contact with him because uh, he has at times disappeared um, into his own world, really. And uh, you know, now we're, we're back on deck again, and we we have a very good relationship, actually. How does he live at home with you? No, no. He keeps now. He keeps in regular contact with you. Yes, we're in contact with each other a couple of times a week. When he, when he didn't contact you, how did you feel? Did you sort of become obsessively worried about him? We did become very worried about him. Um, and it was, in some respects, a, a, a mixed blessing because we had time to ourselves. We have our own life to live. And quite often being a carer uh, interferes with this very seriously. Um, but nonetheless, as he is our son, of course you you, you do worry, um, and uh, you know you were worried sick at one stage. If he was to get married or um, or even to die, how would you feel about losing that responsibility? Interesting question, because um, you know, if the person dies. Uh, and many people commit suicide and, and so on, um, of course you, you grieve. 
and you never forget. Um, you mentioned marriage. Well, um, a friend of ours has a daughter who has schizophrenia. She was 51 when she was married. And Peg, our friend, felt that it was such a relief that somebody else, her husband, mm. had taken on the responsibility of looking after the daughter. Mm. Uh, and she felt guilty for a while, as you do, because, mm. you know, you feel that you shouldn't feel relieved, but you can't help it. Mm. Um, yeah, so if, if he married um, and had somebody else to care for him, we would be greatly relieved. Mainly because, I mean, we're not getting any younger and I wonder what's going to happen when we be get too old to look after him. I think this is a, a problem that faces a lot of people, um, whether the person they're caring for is either mentally or physically ill. Yeah. Um, you know, what's going to happen when I'm not here? It's true. Uh, uh, and it's terrible. You, you see, uh, you know... Uh, an 80-year-old person wheeling around their son or daughter in a, in a wheelchair mm -hmm. and you wonder how they're coping and you wonder what's going to happen to that person when the, uh, the parent dies. How do you feel, how do you deal with the everyday life knowing that you could be on call for your son at any time? It just becomes part of you after a while. Um, you need... Uh, we need to get away occasionally, um, and we do try and go, you know, off for a week here or a week there, um, and we're just planning a trip at the moment, and uh, we have to make sure that Matthew is looked after um, while we're away, and we're putting things in place for that now. So you do get a chance, but you're still on call nevertheless if, if something drastic happen? Yeah, we expect to call at any time, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, the calls come, they might come at two o'clock in the morning um, that we're needed for, for some something or other. And, uh, you know, you just, it becomes part of your everyday life. Is he ever violent? He's one of the few mentally ill people who does become violent, or he has in the past. He's on new medication now, and uh, I'm very pleased that this medication has um, calmed him down considerably. So he's much easier to live with when he's around. He's much easier. He can be delightful to, 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 to be with. Yes. You say he's one of... Um, he's not the, the average being, being violent. Is it common for people to be violent? Not really. Mm -hmm. uh, mentally ill people are not necessarily violent. We hear a lot about the violence. Um, we hear about uh, you know violent psychotic episodes and, and, and so on. But uh, I suppose this would, oh, perhaps 1% or 2% at the most. Mm. So do you ever feel threatened by him? Or did you ever feel threatened by him? Oh, we have several times, um, mm. yes. Uh, no longer. We don't feel threatened now. When they did occur, what, how did you handle it? What happened? What was the sequence? Um, the mood swing happened very quickly and um, 
the temper flared uh, and he started, he would start to throw things. Um, I remember being caught at one stage between him and the knife block in the kitchen. And that was terrifying, I can, I can assure you, because in previous psychotic episodes, he said, now I can kill you. Uh, and, I mean, it's just not him to, to, to speak in that way. But it happened. And, uh, you know, when he... Uh, I remember another time he, uh, we were driving along, was in Canberra, and he was sitting in the back seat, and suddenly the mood swing happened, and he leapt over between the two front seats, tried to grab the steering wheel, and said, now I can kill the two people who have um, hurt me all my life. Because they have to have, or not like, I shouldn't generalise like mm. that, but a lot of sick people need a scapegoat. Mm. And uh, they usually pick the people they love most. You're listening to Wellbeing, and my guest today is Mr. Graham Steele. Was that all? My guest today is Graham Steele, and Graham is a carer for a patient who is mentally ill. He's an accredited instructor in mental health first aid and a member of the Schizophrenia Fellowship. Graham, what exactly is mental health first aid? Like any first aid course, it's um, a course that. Uh, helps you to cope with the initial onset of uh, a mental con uh, or, uh, of a psychotic episode or, or whatever. Um, it teaches a lot about the background to mental health, mental illness. Uh, we talk about the various kinds of mental illness and the prevalence of mental illness in the community and it is very high and then when people come across somebody who has say an anxiety attack uh, or a psychotic episode or something like that it teaches us how to cope with that until expert help arrives it's certainly not a cure-all. It equips a person to cope with a situation, to understand a situation. Can you give me an example? Well, I suppose um, a recent example of my own, I went to pick my son up to bring him out to our place for Christmas, and he was quite psychotic. And uh, previously, the, the notion of going to the psychiatric hospital was not on for, for him. He would not cooperate. But because we teach, I, I practice what I preached, uh, you know, because we teach people how to cope with a psychotic episode, I was able to virtually talk him down, uh, not not overpowering him, but bring him down off the ceiling, <laughs> if you like, um, in his psychotic state. And 
I was able to convince him that really we need to go and see somebody and he needs uh, some help. So um, we did. And uh, I could never have done that had I not had the training. How did you become an instructor and, and get involved with getting your accreditation? Where did you get it from, etc.? Oh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm very much involved with the Schizophrenia Fellowship in New South Wales. Um, and uh, they were looking for a volunteer who, who would be able to do these courses to, to uh, instruct uh, others. And uh, they... Uh, sponsored me to go, I went to Adelaide for my course, but they're held all over the country. Um, And I went down to Adelaide and uh, it was a week-long course, Um, a very good week it was too. Um, And you become accredited provided you prove that you can, you have to do some of the teaching um, to, to your own classmates. And that's a tough one, I can tell you, uh, because everyone was extremely critical of, uh, of each other, but in a very friendly way. And uh, it's a real fellowship, really. Uh, you know. So, uh, yes, it, the course is run by um, a group called Origin. Um, from it's, it started, actually, uh, in, at the Australian National University, and now it's moved to Melbourne University, and um, Betty Kitchener, who trains the instructors, is brilliant, absolutely superb. When people um, learn the first aid, and you sort of get people in and you teach them how to handle it, um, is it just for them or their family members or as the person who is, um, who is mentally ill? Do they come along as well? Are they involved with all of it? Uh, they don't necessarily come along, the, the, the mentally ill person. Uh, I have uh, instructed a lot of mentally ill people. Uh, 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 but it's really uh, it's helpful for them because a lot of their friends will have mental illness and they will be able to see the signs of a psychotic episode coming on or whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, and they, they will get to understand it. But it's particularly good for carers. Um, I find that uh, the people who get most out of it are the people who are caring uh, for somebody with an illness. Mm. Um, and also, I, it's great f- for ordinary members of the community because it's helping them to understand a lot more about the subject. What can people do or where can people go to learn to get help? Because there must be a lot of people in the community who um, are aware that somebody in their family or a close friend has a problem, but you know, where do they go to get help to, ask, to help the person? Very important point. Don't ever think you're alone. A lot of people sit back there and they stew over the matter they become confused, uh, upset, and so on. And if you are in that sort of situation, then you can't care for the person you need to care for as well as you might. There are all sorts of organisations out there. We belong to the Schizophrenia Fellowship, which um, 
uh, is extant across the country. I think in Victoria they call it uh, the Mental Health Fellowship. Now, that's not just for people associated with schizophrenia. It, it's for people who either suffer from or are carers of people suffering from any mental illness at all. I mean, depression's a mm. huge mm. issue in Australia at the moment. If you are caring for a, a depressed person, quite often, if you go to an organisation such as this and Schizophrenia Fellowship, Mental Health Fellowship, are in the phone books. Um, in the yellow pages? No, they're, they're usually in the white pages. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also, uh, for carers, an organisation called ARAFME, the Association um, of Parents, uh, what is it, <laughs> Relatives and Friends mm-hmm. of the Mentally Ill. That's right. Um, and uh, that's a very good organisation too. And both these organisations and there are other, as I said, there are other support groups out there, uh, really do help a person, especially in the initial stages of, of dealing with um, mental illness. When you first realised that your son was mentally ill, was needing some care and, and attention generally, um, did you find you had any opposition from A, your son himself, or B, people like general practitioners? The, and I'm thinking about the Privacy Act you needed to know what was wrong with him and how you could help him. Um, but did you come up with opposition um, ab- about this? The Privacy Act is, is um, a big issue at the moment and uh, you know, it needs to be looked at very, very carefully. Uh, we don't have a problem anymore because Matthew has um, given approval for a, his um, psychiatrist or his uh, caseworker to talk to us. And we are lucky because we've had a lot of support in recent times. However, when it, when it first manifested itself, nobody would believe us. Uh, we were told by one eminent psychiatrist uh, that we were simply, there was nothing wrong with the lad, uh, this is simply a dysfunctional family. Now, uh, that hit hard, I can tell you, and I uh, have never had any time for that psychiatrist since. Of course we are a dysfunctional family, but that didn't come first. The mental illness came first, and as a result of it, we became slightly dysfunctional. But um, I'm lucky I've got a great wife. Um, we are among the few carers who've stayed together. The divorce rate among uh, carers of, of mentally ill people is very high. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and my guest is Graham Steele. Okay. That now, all right? Yes, well, on the home stretch, this is going well. Ah, where am I? <coughs> Graham. <coughs> Graham Steele is my guest today on Wellbeing and we're talking about what it's like to be a carer for a, a patient who is mentally ill. And Graham, you, you mentioned briefly um, about organisations that have been, that are around to help, help people. Um, 
Are they well organised in general, these, these groups, like a Rafnery? Yes, very well organised. Um, they're non-government organisations that, uh, you know, they receive some funding from the government through the health department and so on. But um, by and large, they're pretty independent um, and, you know, they're, they're doing some wonderful things. The F- Schizophrenia Fellowship, for example, runs courses. We, we run the um, Mental Health First Aid course. But there's also another one that we run called Wellways. And Wellways teaches a carer to cope, helps a carer to cope with the various situations mm. and keeping the overall health of the family up. And this is very important, of course, because it affects not just the, the parents who are caring, in your case, for a son, but any other siblings that happen to be around. The, the really interesting thing is um, carers are not just parents. Um, the most impressive carer I've ever heard speak publicly was 11 years of age, and he cared for his father. And he spoke about his role as a carer of his father. And, uh, you know, it was really inspiring to, to listen to him uh, and to, to be part of a function where he was speaking. So obviously it affects everyone. It does, yeah, mm. everybody. When you're in a crisis situation, do you receive any help from the mental health services? We're lucky, uh, I have to say. Uh, I've heard a lot of people uh, say that the mental health services, uh, you know, don't respond and so on. So far, or at least uh, in the past couple of years, we've been very lucky and we've had help whenever we wanted it. I think, though... Mental health services are so under-resourced, it's not funny. It, you know, we, in, in Australia, um, the, the average, uh, yeah, across Australia, 7% of the total health budget goes towards mental health. The world OECD or the OECD average is 17%. So we are way behind and, uh, you know, you, you see this when you go into um, uh, uh, an emer- psychiatric emergency unit. You can see the people in there are really, they're snowed under mm. completely. Mm. And I guess with um, funding cuts and, and government not understanding overall, um, this all adds to the, to the problem they have. Yeah, the government... Governments, and it's not just the state government or the federal government, it's all of them in in this country, they should understand. You look at some of the the people, you've got Jeff Gallup in Western Australia and John Brogdon in New South Wales. Um, Both have had major depressive episodes. Um, We've got, in New South Wales, we we had a, a... uh, Legislative Council Select Committee on Mental Health three or four years ago. The Minister for Health at that time is now our Premier and the current uh, Minister for Health was a member of that committee. 
So if they don't know anything about mental health now, they jolly well should. Uh, they've got all the information uh, they need and they've just got to apply it. Do you think that mental health, because the, the health system is um, not responding very well to all things, in hospitals for general um, health um, is under... Uh, criticism. Do you think that mental health, as usual, as it seems to be, as usual, gets to the bottom of that pile, oh, yeah. so that you know it's sort of the also ran? Mm. I think mental health uh, serves. Oh no, it's perhaps unkind, but mental health is like uh, as though like the old asylums. Uh, it's locked away and mm. forgotten about. Uh, the people who are there giving the treatment. Uh, uh, are certainly out there doing their very best. We've got some very well-qualified people, some very committed people. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're locked, locked up. Mm. Just going back a, a little bit, um, you we talked about mental health services and, and I was working on the basis of um, the National Health Scheme. Do private health insurance companies have mental health facilities? Um, some do, uh, uh, and certainly some private hospitals have psychiatric wards. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how prevalent this is across the country, but yeah, it, it's um, if you can afford private care, well, it's available for mm. you. But I guess that becomes a, um, a vicious circle too, because if you had... Um, if you were someone who was being cared for, mm -hmm. um, you're not working in, in a lot of play, a lot of cases, um, so you wouldn't be able to afford private health things. And there's always that gap in between, so it becomes a very expensive situation. So they tend to fall back on the government national health scheme, I guess. That's right. Mo I think most people who suffer from uh, a mental illness, a serious one, mm -hmm. mental illness, uh, are surviving on. A disability pension, and uh, you know they just cannot afford uh, to keep their their private insurance up. Graham, we've talked about schizophrenia as a as a condition. Um, how common is it? It's probably the one, apart from depression, the one that we hear about most. How common is it? Not very. Um, we hear a lot about. Schizophrenia, we hear a lot about bipolar disorder, um, which used to be called um, manic depression or something mm. like that. Um, in fact, the really serious uh, psychotic illnesses like these probably represent 2%. Um, depression is certainly way up there. Mm. Um, and, of course, the, the opposite of depression... Oh, almost, uh, anxiety attacks are way up there. Um, uh, anxiety, particularly among women, um, depression among men. Um, they are the two really big ones, but there are all sorts of um, other, you know... Things. Steps in between. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, it looks like time is going to run out for us on this particular program. Um, Obviously, there are a lot more things that we can talk about and to discuss. Um, 
regarding the, the mental health situation. I would like to invite you to come back again in a couple of weeks and talk some more about all of this and uh, tell us more about mental health care in certainly as it stands here in Newcastle and I guess in the whole of Australia. I hope that by then we'll have some better news from Canberra um, about mental health. Can you sort of enlarge on that a bit? Yeah. In, on the 10th of February, the uh, state government leaders and the federal government leaders are meeting in Canberra. They have, their reg- you know, they have these meetings occasionally. And uh, mental health is on the agenda. And I'm pleased that um, the New South Wales Premier and the Prime Minister are seeing eye to eye on this. And that's wonderful news. Uh, there is a meeting... I hope it doesn't become another talk fest. As I said, they have all the information that they need. What they need to do now is make some decisions and develop an implementation plan. Graham, it will be interesting to see what happens. Thank you very much. My guest today has been Graham Steele. He's an accredited mental health first aid instructor, a member of the Schizophrenia Fellowship and a carer for his son. I'll be back again next week and on behalf of all the team here, thank you for listening and we wish you well.